0: Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. We come to the end of another week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh I just looked up at my calendar... I haven't done it for a while and realized we're in week 34, 34 weeks of doing the show. uh, In my case, from my house uh, near the city of Decatur and Emory university, Uh, Jim Galloway is working out of his house. And of course he joins us on Mondays and Fridays for the show. And all of our panelists have been coming to us by telephone. And I suppose you can say we're in the luxurious position, people like Jim and me of being able to work out of our homes as the pandemic continues. And, uh, I personally think an awful lot about those of you who are making your livings out in the world and um, hope you're taking all the precautions you need to uh, make sure you stay safe and sound. And this is an important time to say that. You know, for the last week or so, we've been so focused in this country and certainly in the state of Georgia because of the runoff elections and President Trump targeting Georgia as one of the states that he believes a fraud uh, stole the election From him. But the undercurrent to all of that's gone on politically has been the coronavirus pandemic continues to march forward in the country and in Georgia in staggering numbers. Um, Most states are are having spikes in their numbers. The US death toll is near 243,000 Americans. The country has now got more than 10 million cases. Here in Georgia, according to the Department of Public Health, there are more than 380,000 cases. 8,400 people have sadly died from the disease. What we're seeing right now, and, and we'll talk about this in a little while, that a lot of what's happening is happening in rural sections of the state. But regardless of where it's happening, we're also dealing with a flu season that is now about to get underway so we wanted to talk about that today and i'm couldn't be happier uh than to have um dr Sandra ford by the way is not going to be able to be with us she got pulled into working on the DeKalb county recount in some way uh so but we what we do jim galloway i'm glad you're here of course you, and you all know jim is the lead political writer for the ajc his column is a Uh, in the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. And Jim, you and I are very fortunate uh, to have with us uh, really one of the leading uh, uh, voices on the pandemic in the United States. Uh, Dr. Carlos Del Rio joins us again, the distinguished professor of medicine at the Emory School uh, of Medicine. He's also a professor of global health and epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health and a co-director of the Emory Center for AIDS Research. Uh, Dr. Del Rio, you've been wonderful. You've been with us on a number of occasions, and we are grateful for that and very happy to have you back today. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be with you, Bill. Um, Jim, let me, if you don't mind, uh, kick off a first question here. And by the way, we should say to people that later in the show, Dr. Del Rio will be with us for a good portion of the show, but later in the show, Jim and I will go over some of the latest Uh, news on what's happening with the recount here and other political news but while we have you Dr. Del Rio let's just start if you would help us give us a sense of what's happening with the coronavirus first in Georgia right now we 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 haven't had the huge spike that other states have but we continue to be on an upward plateau is that a fair way of characterizing it uh
1: we are but but bill we're also quite frankly uh, beginning to see uh, an increase and we're beginning to see increase in cases, increase in deaths, increase in uh in hospitalization. So so I think we're just behind the curve other places are, but we're not at all uh, out of the woods. I mean, we have seen in the past uh, you know, in the past week we're seeing, you know, uh you know, uh about uh, you know, an increase that I think is in the, in the 20 to 30 percent increase just uh, November 12. We had close to 3,000 cases reported. Uh, so that that increase of, of almost, uh, you know, almost 30 percent from the average two weeks earlier, it's concerning. And as you said, a lot of it, of the biggest increases are not happening uh, necessarily in metro Atlanta. They're happening in, in some of the, in the more rural counties. So we know from what CDC and others are telling us is that a lot of the increases are happening because people are getting together, because people are gathering. And there was some very interesting uh, cell phone data that suggested that most, a lot of people that get infected, they've been in, in restaurants, they've been in bars, they've been in gyms, they've been in, in, in churches. So, you know, I think that what that's telling us is that being indoors is worse than being outdoors. And... Again, not wearing a mask is a significant risk factor, and I think there's there's you know we are seeing pandemic fatigue there's no doubt about that but but every time when we see an increase in cases, and now you know in the state of georgia, you know yesterday they were there were over you know two thousand people hospitalized and and in yesterday we had you know uh about 100, uh, a hundred uh new deaths, which is again going up. I just worry that we are entering another bad point in the pandemic where we're going to be back in the, in the numbers we were back in the summer. And, and we can this doesn't have to be the case. We can stop it.
2: Uh, uh, Dr. Del Rio, am, am, I, am I mistaken? I, I think I saw some figures uh, earlier this morning that says that, that the nationwide, the number of cases has almost doubled since November 1st.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it clearly has. And, you know, when you see how rapidly the numbers have gone up uh, you know, it took us, we are in a very explosive phase in this pandemic right now. It took us uh, close to 100 days to go from from zero cases to the first million. It took us only uh, uh, eight days to go from 9 million to 10 million. We were at 9 million cases on October 31st. We were at 10 million cases on November the 8th. And we are currently, uh, we have had now several days with more than 100 new cases per day. In fact, yesterday we had 150,000 cases. So that leads me to believe, and I've been saying this, that by Thanksgiving, we'll be having over 200,000 cases. Um, that's just, you know, mind-boggling, no matter how you look at it.
0: Dr. Del Rio, if, if you could, um, give us a little sense of how this virus behaves. In other words, if I'm... With someone or near someone who's been exposed to the virus, who actually has the virus, whether they're asymptomatic or not. Um, how does that, what, what is the uh, opportunistic uh, uh, trajectory of the virus in terms of wanting to reach out and infect people? Me?
1: So we're learning a lot about the transmission of this virus. And what appears to be very clear is that a transmission is primarily through through respiratory secretions and respiratory secretions can be in the form of, of what we call droplets or it could be in the form of aerosols and aerosols tend to be uh, you know, dispersed through the air and aerosols in general tend to be more of a problem in, in close crowded environments so we see that that a lot of the transmission as I mentioned is because somebody gets infected, goes into a room, and I think goes into a room, there are other people there and it rapidly disseminates. Now, one of the things that seems to be coming along is that about ten percent of those infected are causing about sixty percent of the transmissions. In other words, there's a disproportionate number of transmission occurring uh, from very few individuals that probably are are what we call superspreaders. And they're occurring in this superspreader events. And I think if you think about the event in the White House where twenty five for people got infected. If you think, I mean, I'm looking at this week. The CDC published and an one of their reports. The MMWR talking about a uh, a, a significant, uh, a multiple outbreaks that were linked all to a wedding reception in rural Maine. And during that wedding reception, you know, uh, with 25 people in a rural Maine town, led to an outbreak in the local community because they all got infected there. And at the end of the day, they were. M- hundreds of people infected as a result of that. So I think that 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 correctional facilities, you know, weddings, churches, places where we congregate and we spend a lot of time is where a lot of the transmission is happening. And as long as we're outside, and to tell you the truth, I think Georgia's is not doing as bad because we still haven't had bad weather. We're still spending a lot of time outside. But when we start spending time inside, we're going to start seeing this. And that's why I worry about the holidays. That's why I worry about Thanksgiving. That's why we worry about the Christmas. People are going to be indoors with a lot of people, and we're going to see outbreaks happening as a result.
0: You know, Jim, um, it was Dr. Del Rio just made a point that I was going to follow up, that I think is interesting, Jim. Uh, for the, from the political side of this here in the state, back in April, uh, when when Governor Kemp was late to shut the state down, and Fast, one of the first to open the state back up in, in a broad way for business, um, he came under a lot of criticism from public health officials who felt he was moving too quickly. Um, and we did spike in the summer, but but then we got to a point where Georgia seemed to have a reduction in the number of cases. We did reach a plateau. The case numbers, that certainly the deaths and hospitalizations, thank goodness, came down and it was sort of mystifying, I think, to some people that we didn't seem given that we had opened, and the governor had come under such criticism and Now Dr. del Rio tells us a part of it was just plain luck that we have better weather and people could stay outside. it sounds like
2: right and 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 as soon as schools reopened you saw you saw the numbers start to climb again and uh and now we're we're kind of feeling the full effect of that, and uh you know i uh, there, a lot of people are kind of in, in, in the same shoes that we are, that we've got to figure out who we can see, who can we safely uh, uh, see, and who we can't see uh, come Thanksgiving on no- November twenty sixth. It is, it is a wrenching decision. Uh, Dr. Del Rio,
1: I mean— Well, how uh, do we
0: know have- about that?
1: So I would say that you need to do several things. Number one, you need to limit the number of people that you're going to see. Number two, you need to sort of create a, a a bubble, right? You need to. We have learned that bubbles are effective. We learned that from the NBA. We learned that from several. Tyler Perry showed us that bubbles are effective. We need to to create bubbles, and and how you create a bubble? Well, you create a bubble primarily by by having uh, a small group of people that are all taking care of themselves. So you know they're all protecting. They're all wearing masks. They're all staying indoors. They're all doing very little. Hopefully, those people have also tested themselves if they're capable. So they're all being tested. And if you do those things and you limit the number of people, you're going to decrease the number of infections that happen. I would also encourage uh, people to use uh, the data from uh, uh, Josh Weiss, who is a researcher at at, Mm. at Georgia Tech, has created a, a fantastic tool that you can essentially say, Depending on what you go to the county you're at, and you can say, okay, depending on the number of, of the epidemiology of the disease there, what's the likelihood that somebody with COVID is going to be at that meeting, and you can move the number of people and we will tell you, okay, if you've got 50 people, you've got a 20% chance that somebody's going to be there infected. If you've got 10 people, it may be only 2%. So I think that also helps you decide, okay, how many people can I safely have?
2: is 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 there a rule of thumb i mean uh, i is, is it exponential i mean uh 2 4 uh 16 is it well, is it, it does it work that way or is it is it I, obviously the smaller the group the better
1: it is it is i think the smaller the group the better i think the local epidemiology is going to be important i think jim what's going to happen here in georgia and what's going to happen throughout the country and what we are all very concerned about is the um, the kids returning from college, right? And you're going to mm. have kids, kids returning from a college. A lot of kids at that age tend to be asymptomatic, and then they're going to come into the household and infect other people. So if I, I don't have kids in college right now, but if I was a parent uh, from kids in college, I would have them stay masked until I got them tested. And once I got them tested, I will, if they're negative, I'll let them remove their mask. But I would not let them come into the house and start interacting with others, especially if I have old elderly parents or elderly people in there, if they're not masked.
0: So, Dr. Del Real, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a few more of what I think of are the kind of practical questions that I know our listeners have been um, sending me notes about. So one example of that is um, if if. I mentioned before we went on the air that I, for the first time in eight months yesterday, got my haircut in the front yard of my house. I was lucky to have a haircutter who was willing to come here. I was masked. She was masked. Um, but if I want to be sure that uh, she wasn't uh, didn't have COVID, even if she's asymptomatic, um, how long do I have to wait before I get t- If I go get tested today, I'm not likely to have a, any outcome that's going to prove to me whether I got the virus or not what what's the time frame that, that I should uh uh go through before getting tested
1: well let's let's go back and say, Bill, that we know from a, a study that was done by c d c and others that if you were masked and your your hairdresser was masked, the chances of infection are essentially zero, so you know you had mentioned previously that your uh hairdresser speaks a lot and you know shouts a lot. I would ask my hairdresser also to stay quiet. We, we're all going to be quiet, going to get this done, get it done quickly. You know.
0: Good luck, doctor.
1: Yeah, getting done quickly. We're all going to stay masked. We're not going to communicate. And, uh, but if you think you're concerned about it, I would go ahead and suggest that people wait about, about five days after contact. About 90% of people that get, get exposed uh, become positive. if They're going to get infected about five days after contact. And, and once you get past 10 days you are pretty much got about 90% of people.
0: Jim, one of the things that made me think about that was um, we know that there were some positive cases that came out of the White House election night uh, gathering. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, celebration uh, turned out not to be much of a celebration, but um, it was only a couple days ago. Yesterday, I think, was the first time we learned that Corey Lewandowski, uh, one of his uh, consultants, top advisors, tested positive and we've learned this a week plus after he was at that gathering even though others who'd been there were tested positive like uh ben carson uh they got results much earlier than that so it, that's why i think what uh, dr del rio is saying is pretty interesting jim
2: right right yeah and, and you had governor brian kemp uh uh self-quarantine uh uh, In just in the in the in the days just before the election, uh, the November 3rd election, uh, because because he had come in contact with Congressman Drew Ferguson, who who had been diagnosed with 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 COVID-19. And then just yesterday, of course, we find out that uh, Sec- Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, uh, who has ordered all these recounts, uh, ordered this massive recount uh, at the same time, he's going to have to self-quarantine because he's come in contact with someone. Uh, and, and his whole staff now is is getting tested as well.
1: I would encourage your uh, listeners to go see the, one of my colleagues, uh, Jesse O'Shea, who's one of the infectious disease uh, fellows here. It has been actively doing tracking of the outbreaks in the White House, and he has a, an incredibly good website and a very nice uh, spreadsheet showing the different people that have been infected. And last time I checked it, in the Trump election ninth party, uh, they had 12 positive cases so far among, among about 150 cases, I guess. That's what we call, again, a super spreader event. And, and it's a mistake to have an event that size and not have everybody mask. And in my opinion, we continue to make the same mistake over and over.
0: Dr. Del Rio, you, I, I know that um, getting dragging you into the politics of this is, is I mean, you've been very— cautious you've been critical when you felt you needed to be but you've, you've also been been cautious about getting involved in the politics of all this but i don't think it's unfair to ask you what you see happening right now where as you point out the country is spiraling dramatically out of control uh, and and we uh, right now uh have a white house that uh The president, certainly, who is preoccupied with what happened in the election. And we haven't seen, I don't even think from the White House task force, particularly um, major efforts to uh, deal with this rapid, rapid spiraling of the case. What what are we facing here if we don't quickly move to mitigate what's going on across the country?
1: Well, you know, Bill, I think that that it is very concerning to me that as we are spiraling out of control, this epidemic is like a forest fire. Uh, there appears to be a, a there's a vacuum of, of leadership uh, at all levels. And I think uh, we cannot wait to have a new administration. We need action now. And we have to remember that, that public health has always been political. But public health should not be partisan. This is about saving lives of people uh, this is not about whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent. This is about saving lives of people, of friends, of colleagues, of family members, of loved ones, and I think uh, we we have a significant leadership vacuum. And I think we I would call on on everybody at all levels of leadership, whether we're talking about religious leaders, whether we're talking about community leaders, whether we're talking about political leaders, to really start talking. We need to all talk with one voice. We need to all send the same message. And if we can get masking to be universal over the next 8 to 12 weeks, we will be able to avoid a lockdown. You know, we will be able to avoid hurting the economy more. So what do we need to do? We need to mask people. We need to limit the number of people in places like bars and restaurants and, and place of worship. We need to really distance people. Social distancing is very important. We need to you know step up testing but get testing results rapidly so we can isolate people and we can do contact tracing and if we do what really is you know shoelace epidemiology and public health we will be able to control this this is not uh, uh, impossible korea south korea did it very effectively and they never locked down japan did it very effectively so we we can do it but we need to work with one voice and we need to work with one leadership and i would have to say that is critical that the CDC assumes a leadership role right now. Uh,
2: yeah, Dr. Del Rio, yeah, I, I do want to point people to the op-ed that you've got in today's AJC on that very topic, and 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 I, I think one of your one of your your your, your in, insistences is, is that is that they should be uh, the CDC scientists should be allowed to give daily briefings again without any any political interference. But I but I want to. Uh, um uh, you spoke of the leadership vacuum and 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 we can see that this transition uh, between uh, Biden and Trump is not going well at all at this point what can Biden do as president elect without any power what can he do now to start addressing the situation
1: i think the the president elect needs to give daily briefings on this pandemic it needs to start mm. stepping into that vacuum and giving daily briefings and really as, uh, taking the bully pulpit and communicating and, and giving a, a strong public health message that is, that is also a, a message of hope and a message of compassion and a message of caring. We are at a very difficult point. People are going to get sick. People are going to be dying. And, and we need to let people know that we and our leadership cares for the lives and the well-being of everybody in this country.
0: You say, it, your op-ed, I, I will post a link to your op-ed uh, in our social media, and I'll put something about my Twitter. By the way, you can uh, follow me at at and uh, NIGUTB, N-I-G-U-T-B on Twitter, and I'll put a link up to your op-ed on my personal Twitter, or PoliticsGPB, which is the Political Rewind Twitter. Dr. Del Rio, you point out, that in in Europe, Ed, that you felt, unfortunately, CDC had a misstep early on in terms of the t- their they're uh, pushing out a test that uh, they realized was flawed, uh, and and then they got on the wrong side of President Trump because uh, one of the uh, uh, leaders of the organization, Nancy Messonnier, had the nerve early on to say this virus had the potential to be a devastating pandemic, and President Trump. Was upset, sidelined her and the CDC, um, and and but I think one of the most important lines in the entire piece, and the whole thing is worth reading, is your conclusion. You say at the very end of this piece, the best time to restore the CDC's role in the pandemic response was in the not too distant past. The second best time is today. We must pivot now, Dr. Del Rio.
1: Yes, we really must pivot now. I mean, the CDC has some of the best and the brightest epidemiologists in the world. They are really leaders in this field. We need to hear from them. We need to get them to give the messages, to give them science-guided messages. And, again, I have out more respect for people, you know, from Dr. Jay Butler to Nancy Messonier to Ann Shaka to Tim Yeki and I can go on and on, you know. Dan Jernigan, I mean, some of the names in there are the people that are writing the the books that are really the people that we all turn around when we have questions. And we need to have them in the forefront. We need to have them speaking to the public. We need to have them. You know, CDC has lately been posting a lot of guidance. For example, they recently posted a guidance telling us that masks not only protect you from infecting others, but actually protect you. It's a really nice guidance, but we need somebody to get out there and explain the guidance, you know, translate that to the public, because I think that posting it on the website, a technical guidance is not enough. We need communication. We need to say, hey, before we, this was what we understood, but we did research, and this is what we now know. This is, I mean, getting science communicating to the public on a regular basis, I think will do a lot of good in helping people understand where we are and what direction we're going. I mean, I think to me what it feels like right now is that nobody is driving the boat and we're in the middle of a storm. We need right. the captain to step up and tell us what's going on and how difficult this is but give us confidence that we are doing the right things.
2: Right, you know it's 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 strange when you when you, when you put it that way you 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 know for a while we saw dr fauci we don't see dr fauci anymore not not that much for a while we saw Deborah Burke we don't see her that much much anymore uh this guy atlas whom whom trump is supposedly looking for the, uh, listening to the radiologist uh we don't see him either we don't you, you, we don't see a scientific voice a, a scientific face on this pandemic
1: no we we don't well we, even you know, worse, you know those guys- guys- those of us who are trying to do that are Go doing ahead. it on the media. We know we're getting on, 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 on in your program or we're getting on. But again, I don't have the bully pulpit and I don't have the, the sort of the, the political weight that other people have, right? Let's have the Surgeon General. Let's have others start speaking. But we need everybody to speak in one voice with one line giving the same message.
0: Um, let's get a break in. Um, Dr. Del Rio, I'd love it if you, I know you got an event at 10 o'clock, which by the way, maybe some of our listeners want to uh, watch. I think it's, uh, is it just for media or is it a broad, do you know off the top of your head?
1: I think it's just a uh, media brief. Yeah.
0: All right, fine. I'm sorry. I don't mean I, I but don't,
1: but I don't want to cause trouble with every university.
0: <laughs> Yes, we will. Of course. All right. I know you've got to prepare for that, but I want to get a little more time with you because I want to talk with you and Jim Galloway about the Pfizer vaccine and what you think uh, we should be expecting in terms of that being made available and how it'll be distributed. We'll do that after we pause for these messages. This is Political Rewind.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
0: We're joined today by Dr. Carlos Del Rio, um, who has been a leader in uh, speaking out on the coronavirus and what's needed to put it under control. Dr. Del Rio, before I ask you about the virus, could I get a quick, and Jim Galloway, of course, is here as well. I'm sorry, Jim. Uh, You're on the front lines. You're down at Grady Hospital, I think, talking to us right now. Uh, what's it like down there right now? How are the cases uh, coming in to you down there? Are you starting to see the kind of increase we're seeing everywhere?
1: Throughout the, the state, we're seeing an increase in the number of hospitalizations, and, and Grady's no exception. We are, we're handling, but I want to start by saying that I want to really give a shout out to my colleagues, the healthcare workers, doctors, uh, advanced practice providers, nurses, uh, everybody working in the hospital who's really been been working tirelessly, who's been working by putting themselves at risk. We know that, you know, CDC tells us that 9% of hospitalizations, adult hospitalizations in the U.S. have been among healthcare workers. So I, I really think that that healthcare workers deserve, uh, you know, first of all, we got, you know, in the early epidemic, we got cheers as, as, as leaders and as, as heroes. Now we need people to wear a mask. As healthcare workers, I would ask everybody, wear a mask and protect yourself because I don't want to see you in my hospital. I don't want to see you in my ICU. I certainly don't want to see you dead. And I want to remind people that as patients are coming in with COVID, they displace other patients, right? And we've seen an increase in death from cancer, from heart disease, from stroke because then we're not being able to take care of all those other people. You only have X number of beds. You only have X number of capacity. And, and hospitals get overwhelmed, and then that impacts everybody. So it's not just about COVID. It's about health.
0: Tell us about the Pfizer vaccine and what you're uh, thinking is on, uh, at what you're hearing about it, about when it might start to be available, when it might get FDA approval. Uh, give us what your take on it is right now.
1: Well, we woke up Monday to hear uh, a press release from Pfizer that made us all incredibly, incredibly happy, right? Pfizer in a press release, and I say this over and over, it's a press release. We have not seen the data, but Pfizer told us that they had seen a total of 94 clinical events in the vaccine study. Vaccine studies are event-driven. This study was powered to have 150 events, which will allow it to show a 60% efficacy in the vaccine. So they were at 94 events, and of those 94 events... 85 occurred in the placebo arm, and 9 occurred in the vaccine arm. And that gives you an efficacy at that point of 90.4%. Now, we need to see the entire study. Later on, the efficacy may drop, may not be 90, may go down to 80, may come down to 70. But the whole point is seeing a 90% of that interim analysis made us all very, very happy. Having said that, that's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a light that is not available right now. That vaccine is going to still have to go The study still needs to be completed. This vaccine still has to go to the the FDA. FDA has to issue an emergency use authorization. If everything goes well, we'll start having some vaccine available late December, early January. You know, when will the general public be capable of getting a vaccine? May, June, July, maybe the summer. So for the general public, this is coming way too late. We cannot depend on a vaccine to stop this pandemic and i think the administration has essentially given up on trying to control this virus and is putting all their eggs in the vaccine basket and while that yeah. is 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 lofty is not a good strategy we need to do both we need to do public health we need to do mitigation and yes we need to wait for a vaccine and i would say again many things have not worked well during this pandemic but boy research has worked well research has given us mm. From having a virus to having now phase three study with not one but multiple vaccines, I think several other vaccines will be getting to their interim analysis soon. And we also have another great news this week. You know, the monoclonal antibody from Eli Lilly has been giving approval for emergency use authorization mm-hmm. to treat people with mild COVID. We had thus far nothing to treat people with mild COVID. Now we have something that we can use. It's limited is not yet available everywhere but i think again research is giving us things that we can use to to confront this pandemic and and we need to be supportive of research as a nation
2: Uh, dr del rio now this the the pfizer the pfizer vaccine would be a two-stage vaccine am i am i right and it would also have to be stored at some incredible temperatures I mean, how does that how how do you how do you distribute how do you sh- ship out a, a a vaccine like that? I mean, it, it seems to me it's going to be very much going to be a matter of people coming to the vaccine rather than the vaccine going to the people.
1: Correct. Uh, we have a vaccine that needs two doses, one month apart, and as you said, it's a vaccine that needs to be refrigerated in a minus uh, seventy, not minus eighty. Those refrigerators are not common. I you know. I have one in my in my research lab, but they, they're not available re- everywhere. They're very expensive. And therefore, the plans that, that CDC and the states are putting together is probably to create hubs of vaccination, right? And we're going to create hubs of vaccination, which we, people will be, I suspect, and I don't know this, but I suspect what's going to happen is that we're going to have – Let's say they're going to be able through Medicare to identify X person as somebody who is eligible for vaccine. And by knowing your zip code, they'll be able to say, well, this is the place you need to go to get the vaccine. This is the place closest to you. I think this is going to require a, in a very sophisticated logistical process. But I tell you, uh, Operation War Speed is under a four-star general, and this is what you need. You need military precision to get this done. And I, I feel really good that operation war speed will be able to do the logistics necessary to make this available it's not impossible it's doable but it requires precision and it requires commitment and it requires resources this is not going to be cheap
0: what are the uh, uh, i think People who listen to the show regularly, and Jim, you were part of this, uh, know that uh, not long ago, uh, Bill fagy Dr. Bill fagy did the show. One of the I mean, Carlos Doria Rio be the first, I'm sure to say one of the genuine giants of uh, public health. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, fagy was the co-chair of a National Institute of uh, Medicine, Science and Medicine task force, Jim, uh, as we know, that looked at how the vaccine would be distributed. They were cut to come up with a panel of, I mean, with a with a series of recommendations for distribution. He said a couple of things in relation to the temperature. Uh, he, he reminded, he said, um, Dr. Del Rio, you could weigh in on this, that because the first phase that they recommend would be high-risk health workers and first responders, um, that those are people who would work at the kind of medical centers that would have the refrigeration that would allow the vaccine to be stored safely. The, as the other phases roll out, it, the hope is that there will be other vaccines also available that may not need the same uh, kind of temperature control. Does that uh, make sense, uh, Dr. Del Rio?
1: Uh, it, it does, but let me just say that there are there are several issues, uh, 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 Bill. Number one is currently of the of the four vaccines that are most advanced in this country, which are you know Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson and Johnson. The only one that doesn't require refrigeration is the J and J vaccine, and it's only a one dose vaccine. So the best vaccine to have. Would be the one dose no refrigeration vaccine, the J and J vaccine. But that okay. vaccine, together with the AstraZeneca, remember had a pause because of of, of potential side effects that that have been clear now. But that, that vaccine research got delayed a bit because of that. And again, emphasizing the importance of the research is really focusing on not only efficacy but safety. But I want to also give credit to Bill, Feige, uh, Hitlin, and the group that put this together, because the reality, this report from the National Academies, did the two things that was very important. Number one, they, they use a health equity lens to allocating the vaccines. And I think that's going to be so important, that we use a health equity lens in making decisions. And number two, they did not talk about tiers. They decided that tiers... Gives the impression that somebody is yes. above you, somebody's below you. They talk about phases, and, and they talk about how we need to have phases of getting this vaccine to people, which I think is a much better way to think about the distribution of the vaccine. So I, I give you know just enormous you know kudos to the group that put this together because it really is a blueprint that is not only useful in our country; it's actually being used around the world.
2: Yeah, and it, and it also has one of the things it, it, that uh, f- Go ahead, Jim. It also has some some interesting subtleties. Uh, uh, I mean, like Faggy's Fe- 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 Committee was, was 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 saying that you don't necessarily vaccinate residents at a, a nursing home, but you but but what you do is you focus on the workers because the workers generally are underpaid and they have several jobs and so they are more likely to bring the virus into the institution. It's 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 it's, uh, it's yeah. it, it it was it was remarkable in that sense.
0: Correct. I, I think... thought so, too. I also... Th- th- go ahead, Dr. Dover. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, when you talk about health equities, one of the things that's uh, so interesting about the phase approach, and he and Feige did talk about just what you're saying, not tears, phases, was that phase two would include groups in terms of health equities, people in homeless shelters, people in prisons, jails, and detention centers who you might think are somewhat marginalized in our society, but nevertheless are going to be in situations with great exposure. And I think that's part of what you're saying when you talk about how remarkable it is they focused on, on health equity, Dr. Del Rio.
1: And, and, and I would add to that, they also say in the report, everybody in this country who needs a vaccine, irrespective of who they are, I don't care if you're an undocumented citizen or you're a citizen or if you're, you know, a wealthy individual, or if you're a poor individual, everybody has to be vaccinated. We have to, you know, the, we have to make sure that vaccine, immune, immunity to this disease becomes a health equity issue. Everybody needs to have access to it.
0: Um, and the uh, group that put this together said it should be free to all, Dr. Del Rio. That will require an enormous commitment of money. And that's something that a, a president, Joe Biden, will have to uh, to deal with uh, in terms of figuring out budgeting for something like that, Dr. Del Rio.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. I think that, again, you know, Money allocation of resources is is, is is one of the jobs of of leaders, right? You need to decide what you're going to spend money in. I hope that by the end of this pandemic, we also make decisions about the importance of, of investing in public health. Throughout this administration, we saw many, many things cut because they were seen as superfluous, and public health was one of them. I still remember one time that the president said, well, you know, if... If something happens, we'll hire more people at CDC. But right now, we don't need any. It's like you know there would be epidemiologists you know that you can just find and hire any time. And and I think investment in public health that has been a problem for quite some time is costing us in this pandemic an absolute fortune, trillions of dollars. And I would I would again quote Bill Faghi. Bill Faghi, you know, quoting Dolly Parton, said once that that. <laughs> You know, you, you have no idea how expensive it is to look this cheap. You know, by being, by being cheap in public health, we're having to pay a fortune right now.
0: That is uh, – Dr. Del Rio, I can't ask for a better way to uh, thank you for being with us today. I do want to give you time to get ready for your uh, – now that I know it, a media briefing uh, that I know you're going to do for Emory um, – I, I love the fact that you close with that great quote from Feige. Uh, those people who know faggy for are lucky enough to know him, know that in addition to his visionary approach to public health, he also has an incredibly wicked sense of humor. And you have just given us a very vivid—you've given us an insight to people who don't know him about what a great, great— uh, person, Bill Fagius. Thanks for that. But more important, thanks for all of your insights today. Uh, We really appreciate your taking the time, as we always do, to come on this show and fill us in on the latest. So um, just again, thank you, Dr. Carlos Del Rio. Uh, We will talk to you again at some point in the future. And I hope the next time we do, it's at a moment when we can all say, wow, this country is starting to get things under control. Wouldn't that be a great thing, Dr. Del Rio?
1: Absolutely. Listen, please stay safe, and thank you for the invite. You.
0: you too. Take care. Let's Take do care. this. Let's get a break in, and when we come back, Jim Galloway, oh my gosh. You know, Jim, we said on this show the other day that uh, Brad Raffensperger might come to regret uh, having agreed to do this hand recount of ballots of almost $5 million Ballots. And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But what we certainly are learning is that if he thought he was going to satisfy the Trump campaign and Republicans, he really has another think coming to him. And we'll talk about that more after we take this break. So Jim Galloway, before we talk a- a- about the latest news in terms of the recount and other things happening right now in Georgia politics, one quick note: I'd love your thinking on this too. I, you know, people like uh, journalists like us, um, if we cover politics, we're sort of in this fortunate position where we often get to encounter significant players in politics. I mean, we get to talk to presidents, and I've been very fortunate to have talked to. President since Ronald Reagan, and you've talked to people like a Bill Clinton, George Bush, and, you know, and that's always kind of an interesting perspective on life, um, get to see those people in person. But I got to say, there is nothing quite as thrilling as knowing the public health leaders that we have assembled here in Atlanta because of CDC, because of the Task Force for Global Health, because of the Carter Center of Global Health, to get to know people like Carlos Del Rio, to get to know a Bill Fagey uh um, Mark Rosenberg from the task force of global health. We are just blessed with an abundance of great thinkers in the world of public health and I just I just wanted to mention that because it always moves me to get a chance to hear what they have to say.
2: Yeah, I, I will I, I've always had a theory that uh uh beneath every political journalist is a re- it really is a science and medicine reporter. Because because you like the de- you, 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 you 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 know you 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 like to be in on the know and and you know with 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 this COVID nineteen pandemic Del Rio is where you do, where you go to be to be in the in the know you don't you don't you don't go to, you don't go to yeah. the state capitol. you you go you you go to a yeah. scientist
0: yeah. All right. I just thought it would be nice to pay tribute to the people that we have gotten to talk to during this last uh, 10 months, 8 months, 9 months, whatever it is now with the pandemic. All right. So, Jim, let's go to what I, I mentioned just before the break. Uh, Raffensperger, uh, we certainly hope he doesn't get sick with coronavirus. He, he's, he's tested positive. Let's hope he stays asymptomatic. Uh, but... He did put in motion this hand recount that he, we have reason to think he was pressured into doing by state Republicans, perhaps by the White House as well. He does say, look, I'm a Republican. I want my candidates to win, but I'm going to do it fair and square. But uh, he is not satisfying anybody. The Trump White House is, or the Trump campaign is still upset. So are state Republicans who are saying, no, no, it's not just recounting the ballots. It's you didn't have as many absentee ballots rejected this election as you did in 2018. You need to be looking at that. This is a never-ending quest. Uh, it's a Sisyphean task, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, 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 it, it, it is that. And, but I would, I, I would, you know, and
2: I'll, I've got a mention of this in the jolt that, I, that, it, that I'll publish as soon as I'm off off air here. But there's an interesting division uh, among Republicans, uh, and that is you, ha- uh, uh, our congressional Republicans from Georgia, including our two U.S. senators, they're the ones who are pushing hardest on 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 uh, resisting uh, 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 the the results of this election. Your, your statewide uh, officials, whether it's you know they're, they're your governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, even House Speaker Ralston. Uh, they are they they are they are far more skeptical they are quiet but they're skeptical and and the difference of course is that our congressional Republicans are uh, one degree closer to uh, to the wrath of Donald Trump uh they're the ones who can be scorched m- most easily and and yeah. Raffensperger is, is 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 kind of is is caught in that pincher movement and the uh, the 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 the, the, the I think they're 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 trying to call this an audit rather than a recount. Uh, but if you count well, if you count once and then you count count again, that's a recount. All right, it started that's it was a supposed recount. to it it was it, it, was, it was it was it was it's it starts this morning. They have 6 days to complete it. Uh, by law Raffensberger has to certify the election by November 20th. You no, know, so that's that's you know that's that's just one that's one week out. Uh and and he had wanted to do that early uh, because that's the day that the, uh, Vice President uh, uh, Pence comes to to campaign. So so he would have liked to have that off the table. Uh, I don't know how this this COVID thing is going to going to affect the count. But here's 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 the most worrying worrying thing. Okay, because this is an, a, a a quote audit. Uh, after it is finished, after the vote is certified on November twentieth. Any candidate any candidate who's within. five percent uh, of 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 another race can demand another can demand a recount we could have a recount after the recount
0: yeah um but but help me with this um before it, 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 I think I understand this but you know this world better than I am probably um the re- the demand for a, an actual for what we think of traditionally as a recount does come after the certification of votes right not before am i right, right. about that right right okay so with th- with that in mind Raffensperger certifies the votes by the 20th uh, and on the let's say on the 20th also, we have a 0.3% difference between with Biden winning the state over Trump, which appears that it could be likely, depending on, you know, very people likely, make mistakes in hand recounts. Um, so th- the demand by the Trump campaign for a recount doesn't affect the certification of the vote. It becomes more of a formality. We know that, right? How does it... How does a recount make a difference if you've already certified the votes, is what I'm asking. I don't understand that, never have.
2: Okay, okay,
0: okay. The process is because this
2: is an audit. I mean, <laughs> one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the, the systems that the state election board had set up was after, after, after a general election, you do an audit. Which basically, you know mm-hmm. r- basically it means it means uh, going into a a a certain number of 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 ballots and getting at least a, a good statistical sense of whether whether your vote is, is accurate. You're not counting every ballot, but in this case, uh, uh, Ravensburger argues that the field of of ballots that would be need to be examined. Uh, In a presidential contest, you 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 might as well go ahead and do the 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 entire field of ballots. All right, so yes, then he then he then he is then he certifies it, then, and this is this is his action that he's taking after the certification. Then you have the candidate who is allowed to require uh, one, and 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 quite frankly, this seems we seem to be in a uh, Trump's the Trump campaign strategy seems to be one of delay to keep the inevitable off as as long as possible. Uh, And and, uh, uh, we've become wrapped up in it.
0: it. You know, uh, so we now know that Arizona has been called for uh, uh, Joe Biden. And uh, the only two states that are outstanding at this point are North Carolina and Georgia. North Carolina seems to be leaning toward uh, a Trump win And Georgia, of course, uh, we were about 14,000 votes uh, uh, with a Biden lead here in the state. And recounts rarely, rarely impact more than a few hundred votes. But, Jim, again, um, even what's going to be, I think, really worrisome in terms of this recount is counting by hand, people do make a few mistakes here and there. It's inevitable. And, and, and as soon as mistakes come to light, I'm assuming we're going to see Republican lawyers and Democratic lawyers fighting over totals that are coming up. I mean, I said on the show yesterday, uh, this has uh, all of the kind of possible complications that we saw in the arguments over hanging chads in Florida in 2000. Now, I hope that doesn't develop, but I, it does feel as if there is potential for that to happen as lawyers watch the counts unfold. Except, except Georgia
2: has only 16 electoral votes. And right now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Biden is at 306. You know, you take away Georgia's votes, all, 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 all its electoral college votes, and, and Biden still carries the day. Uh, I, I think, no, I
0: think he's at two ninety. I think two ninety. I think if he wins Georgia, he's at three oh six. I okay, think. All right. You okay. May, all right. right. But I okay. think so.
2: Yeah. Okay. But in, in any case, you take away Georgia's votes, and it and, and it does. This has to be a multi-state op, uh, effort to to uh, to kind of neutralize the, the vote uh, from November third. If it's not multi-state, it doesn't work. And and yeah. that's where I think yeah. that's where I think that, you know, that's 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 why why Trump ultimately will not succeed. I, I just I, I can't I can't think that uh, he would be allowed to succeed.
0: So, Jim, I, you know, we've said on the show all week that um, talking about the uh, efforts of the Trump campaign to paint fraud and stolen elections broadly with a broad brush here in Georgia and across the country, To say that what they're doing is simply uh, uh, untrue is not partisan. It's simply the facts of the matter. We're talking about democracy or not democracy, essentially. What's really staggering about this, and we got about a minute plus to do this, is it is staggering to think that the United States is in the thrall, essentially, of one person who is— orchestrating, whether it's out of chaos or certainly not out of a systematic plan, who kind of holds us all in the palm of his hand as he refuses to accept the results of the election, uh, continues to act in um, to get rid of people that he doesn't want in the defense. It's staggering to think of the power that a Donald Trump is exerting at this uh, moment. And i we're running out of time, but what's your 10-second take on that?
2: 10-second uh, uh, take? is—it's a, It's a sign of how much Donald Trump is going to control the Republican Party even after he leaves the White House.
0: Jim Galloway, that's it. We're out of time. I got to run. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. Get a flu shot. See you all on Monday, Jim. You'll be here then, too. Bye-bye.